you and in your presence, and we just love you so very much. And so, Father, as we um, look into your word this morning about this topic we're going to be looking at, and that nobody else knows what it is yet, but you know, Lord, I just pray for your thoughts, your words to be conveyed, and that our hearts, Father, would receive your word with gladness, and that, Father, we'd come away with a fresh new understanding and ability to function uh, according to your abundant life. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, last week, uh, on Mother's Day, Jeff kind of opened this door to the whole male-female topic. Well, that kind of stirred me up because that's one of the topics that are kind of a hot topic for me. And I think it's a God topic. I don't think it just stirred me up because it was just me. So on Sunday night, I said, so what would you think about if I continued in that vein next week? And he said, sure. So we prayed about it a little further than that. And, and that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about, so he, he talked last week about uh, in God's image, male and female, God created them. We're going to take that a little bit further today. And we're going to talk about... Um, how that male and female were destined by God to reign together in life and in marriage. So we're going to start by looking at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. If you want to look in your own Bibles, you can. We're going to have it up on the screen. There'll be a little bit of repetition here about some of the things Jeff said last week, but they are foundational to the fact that men and women are supposed to be reigning together mutually as one in life and in marriage. And so I want to make sure that we get a good look at this. Once again, you know, you can never get enough of any scripture anyway. It's, it's always a, we got to hear it again and again and again. So I'm reading from the New King James Version, and it says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. And that dominion there could also be rule, by the way. Over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion or rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. When God first created mankind, or Adam, it was male and female in one body. It was late, later the woman was separated out. But here's the point. In order to get in his image, we have to have both male and female. You can't have only men. And see, all of, and see God's image represented in the earth. You also can't have only women and see God's image in the earth. You have to have both men and women join together, together as one, in order to see the fullness of God's image in the earth. Now, let's look at what he told them to do. This is the very beginning. This is his original plan. This is what he wanted. He told them, he gave them a couple of um, assignments for their lives. He said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And he said, subdue it, have dominion or rule over it. He said that to both men and women together, not separately, but together. So let's think about this. Be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth. Can a man be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth all by himself? 
Thank you. Can a woman be fruitful and multiply? <laughs> I think seahorses can do that, but I don't think... <laughs> but men and women have to have each other, right? And you know what? Men have a whole set of hormones and parts, and women have a whole set of hormones and parts, and they're different. Men's stuff is different than women's stuff. <laughs> and women's stuff is different than men's stuff. And neither one of their stuff can multiply and fill the earth by themselves. But when they come together as one, that's how they will multiply and fill the earth. Amen? So let's look at the next assignment for mankind. Subdue the earth. Have dominion. It takes men with all of their hormones, with all of their traits, with all of their characteristics, and women with all of her hormones and all of her traits and all of her characteristics, not, by, not men by themselves, not women by themselves, but men and women with all their differences coming together in order to rule and have dominion over the earth. We were always meant to be equal. We were always meant to do this together. It was never meant to be a separate thing. It was never meant to be one is higher and one is lower, whichever one you want to choose. It was meant to be together. We together, equal in image, equal in creation, and equal in assignment. So what's happened? You know, it's easy for us to see that men can rule over the earth and men can take dominion and men can do anything that they seem that they want to do. But women have had a different situation over the years. Now it's getting better and better, but I want to look at how it was always intended to be. I want to look at what happened, how did we get to that point, and what is it really supposed to look like for men and women to have equality, what I'm going to call gender equality, in the earth, according to the Lord, according to the way he originally planned it, that we just read about in Genesis 1. And how can we have that in our marriages as well? So what happened? So let's look at Genesis 3.16. Again, Jeff brought this out. This is where everything changed. Of course, we know that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God came into the garden to talk to them about it. And this is what he said to Eve that really changes the men and women's gender equality picture. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply, verse, verse 16, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. The repercussions of sin brought about not a difference in the fact that God that she was created in God's image, but it brought a diminishing to her dominion and rule in the earth. She now was going to have to be ruled over by the man. This was not God's original plan. This came with the fall. Everybody get that? Everybody say, it came with the fall. Boy, that should tell us every... I should have to say no more. That should end it right there. But there's a lot more that can be said because there's a lot of questionable things that have been taught in a, uh, amongst us all. Another thing that changed everything was the fact that mankind ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You know, we were never meant to live by the knowledge of good and evil. 
Now, we can't even begin to grasp that because that's the way our whole world, our whole society is built on understanding good and evil. There's laws built to keep us safe because of good and evil. It was never meant to be that. We were meant to live out of the tree of life where we didn't have to worry about evil because everybody lived in a life-giving way. An amazing concept that we're all looking forward. We're all saying we want that day to come again, you know, and, and yet... It's a difficult thing. We, we can all do something about that in our own personal lives, but we live in a society that is ruled by the knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of, of good and evil from, from that day forward. And the heart of man changed from that day forward. A man who, a man, and I mean mankind, the heart of mankind changed from that day forward. Uh, sin became more rampant. I mean, almost immediately we read about the murder between Cain and Abel, right? I mean, immediately, sin came into the world. Lust came into the world. The pride of life, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and all of society was changed. And, and to deal with it, laws were formed. And in order to enforce laws, hierarchies were formed. Uh, mankind decided to form certain traditions and customs, some good, some not so good. Uh, so I can say some of these things were benevolent, some were life-giving, but there was plenty of pride and self-centeredness and selfishness to go, along, go around. So Genesis 3.16, where he said, man will rule over you, set us up for a patriarchal society where man was in charge. When you, now, that didn't have to be a bad thing. It could have been a benevolent patriarchal society. But when you couple that now with sin flourishing in the earth, the pride of life, ego, self-centeredness, selfishness, power, uh, superiority in, uh, uh, and subservience. When you couple those things together, a patriarchal society came into place that promoted things that did not go so well for women. For instance, over time, women were considered the property of men. Over time, women weren't allowed to learn or be schooled like men were. And over time, it even led to the view that women were evil. And some of you may still think that today. And if so, please repent because you're wrong. We are not evil. We are wonderful. We are beautiful. We are good. All right. Anyway, <laughs> now I should mention that there are a few stunning examples in the Old Testament of women taking their place. Someone like Deborah, and, and somehow she took her place and was allowed to take her place and, and boldness and strength and be who God made her to be. We're never talking about being somebody God didn't make you to be, but being who God, whoever God is calling you as a man or a woman to be is who you should be with all freedom. So here she is, a judge and a prophet and even a military leader who without her, the battles wouldn't have been won. There was another prophet named Huldah. There was the courage and the wisdom of women such as Ruth and Esther. There was J.L. who uh, had the boldness and courage to drive a stake through the temple, the, this temple, in the head, <laughs> uh, the forehead, if you will, uh, of an opposing king and kill him. There was Abigail who, without which David would have come and killed her husband and everybody else because her husband was being dumb, and she had the smarts to know what to do. And there's the faith of Sarah. There's a lot of stunning women that are brought out in the old. There are, let me put it this way, maybe not a lot. There are a number of stunning men and women in the, women in the Old Testament. But nevertheless, the Old Testament is largely portrayed as the day of the time of being a patriarchal society. And again, you have the benevolence 
and the people who were benevolent, and then you have those who were after the flesh and then began to do more and more things that promoted a society that was against women. Even in our Christian faith, some of our forefathers have been against women. Um, We'll put this up on the screen. This gentleman, Origen, he's from 185 to 254 AD after Christ. He was an early church father, and this is what he had to say. One of the things he had to say about women. Men should not sit and listen to a woman. Uh, some of you might go, yes, amen, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but, but no. <laughs> even if she says admirable things or even saintly things, that is of little consequence since they came from the mouth of a woman. Wow. That's an early church father. This is the way they felt about women. These are the people who began to construct the way for us. As a matter of fact, they had already had 4,000 years of this. This is why he would think such a thing. And even interpret scriptures, if he had scripture. I don't even know, if, I don't even know that he had scripture or letters from Paul at this point. I'm not sure about him in particular. But even if you did, you would be interpreting it in the light of a culture of 4,000 years of a patriarchal and sinful society. Now, Martin Luther. Martin Luther is a great man without whom, unless God used somebody else, you and I would not be believing what we believe today. We would be still crawling the steps, bruising our knees, beating ourselves, flailing ourselves on our backs for sin. We would still be paying money into the churches where we attended to pay the price for our sin. It's because of Martin Luther that we found out it's not by works that we are saved. Now, that's not until the 16th century, folks. So things had degraded from right after Christ to people believing you had to do all these works and indulgences and bear pain in order to pay for sin. But Martin Luther, in his deep search for Christ, finally had the revelation, we're saved by grace through faith and that not of works, lest any man should boast. Because of Martin Luther, you and I believe that today. Martin Luther was a great man of God. I am so grateful for his life. And yet, look at what he had to say about women. Woman must neither begin nor complete anything without man. Where he is, there she must be, and bend before him as before a master, whom she shall fear and to whom she shall be subject and obedient. Wow. Heavy-duty stuff. Obviously, we don't believe that here in this church, or I wouldn't be up here preaching. (laughs) But I want you to see what has formulated thought for thousands and thousands of years, even in the Christian church. Isn't it amazing how far the people of God strayed from God's original plan for man and woman to be equal and to reign equally in the earth? Now, how is some of the effects of this played out even in more recent times uh, because of, again, and, you know, please understand that I am by no means saying men are bad, husbands are bad. Uh, Husbands are wonderful. Men are wonderful. There's wonderful things about men. I'm just trying to point out some facts of where it has gotten us to where people have some false beliefs that we need to unpack. So, more recently, in my lifetime, in some of your lifetimes, 
some, some of these things are happening yet still today. Here is how a patriarchal society that engulfs the entire world and is still heavily portrayed in some countries, less portrayed in America. But in my lifetime in China, when they were trying to cut back the population because they had too many people and they only allowed their people to have, I think it's one child, it might have been two, but I think it's one child. They were getting ultrasounds, and if it was a girl, they were killing the girl because it was preferable to have a boy in my lifetime. In the last 50 years, last 40 years. In India, in the same time period, if a husband died, the living wife was put on the, 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 the funeral pyre. That's where they burned the body. She was the living wife, was put on the funeral pyre with the dead husband and sent out, and she was burned alive. There was no one now to care for her. She belonged to the husband. We've, I'm sure, all heard about in some places in the Muslim faith, there's such a thing called honor killings, where if, say, for instance, the daughter of the family um, has a relationship outside of marriage, a sexual relationship, even if she's raped, and even if she's raped by a family member, in order to bring honor back to the family, because this is dishonoring, they, the family will kill her. And by the way, the perpetrators will go free. Wow. Those are some heavy-duty repercussions. And that's how sinful our earth is, ha has been. So perhaps less dramatic, and, but, more life, but still life-altering, here in America, it's been less than 100 years that women have had the right to vote and have a voice in shaping our government. Less than 100 years ago. And even in now, we still are dealing with the effects of equal pay for equal work. And, you know, that all came about because they figured, well, women are not the providers for the families. The men are. So she doesn't need to make as much money as the man does. Now, no, it doesn't compute to people who get gender equality. But a patriarchal society, coupled with the repercussions of sin and the fall, have brought about a lot of distorted thinking about equality for men and women. And again, I'll repeat again, there are certainly men who value women, who understand their worth, who are good, who are benevolent, who are loving, who, are, who, are, who see women differently. There's certainly men like that. But we have to continue to look at this issue as it's still continuing to be played out. So what should we as Christians believe? Well, let's start with what did Jesus believe? And I'm not going to put scriptures up. I'm just going to throw some things out, <clears throat> out to you. And if you want to see the scriptures, I'll be happy to give you my notes um, later. And, but in Jesus' time when he was on the earth was some of the time where women were owned by men where women in the Jewish culture were not allowed to be taught by the rabbis. The men were taught. Now, you know, if you, don't, if you can't learn, then you can't expand and get better and do more things and be everything that you could have been. You know, it's very important to be able to learn. And they weren't allowed to learn. They weren't allowed to talk to certain people. I mean, women were considered inferior. Men were superior at that time. So the way Jesus 
treated women during that time was really quite revolutionary. He taught both men and women. He had men and women both who were disciples. He directed ministry to both male and female. He healed, he delivered, he set free men and women. Remember, he healed the unclean woman who sought him in the crowd, and he also healed blind Bartimaeus in the tree. On the Sabbath, he healed both a man with a shriveled hand and a woman who was crippled for 18 years. He raised to life the widow's son and Jairus' daughter. He balanced his parable with parables with male and female activities. For instance, the kingdom of God, he talked about it being a mustard seed which a man planted and yeast that a woman mixed in her dough. Um, that's a for instance. He, he frequently coupled his illustrations with men and women like tax collectors and prostitutes or two men in the field and two women grinding. He always brought in women. He was completely out of step with the grammatical uh, ways of the time when he would say men and women, husbands and wives, fathers and daughters, son, I mean fathers and mothers, sons and daughters. Those things were totally against the culture of his time. Jesus brought women up and acted in such a way that women had an equal standing with men. He was revolutionary. Of course, we know he was revolutionary in all sorts of ways, wasn't he? And this was one of them. And then, of course, let's talk about, for a moment, the cross. What did the cross do? Romans 5 tells us that the cross freed us from all that the one man, Adam, did by what the one man Jesus did. So the curse that came because of the one man Adam was we're freed from any curses because of what the one man Jesus did. So every curse associated with sin in the garden, everything that changed associated with sin in the garden has been negated and done with. So that thing about men, women shall, men shall rule over women, that's one of those things that's been Done away with. Everybody say, done away with. <laughs> through the cross. Now, I want to bring this closer to home. If we're going to be designed to equally reign, men and women, and we are, what about being equally reigning in marriage? Well, let's look at it. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to look at several passages of Scripture that have to do with men and women in marriage. And let's just start this whole thing by remembering Though the scripture is inerrant, it's the original scripture that is inerrant. It's not the translation of scripture that's necessarily inerrant. Where most of our English Bibles started from today comes from the King James era. In the King James era, they lived in a patriarchal society. So as they read things in scripture, some of which was difficult to translate, some of which was missing words, they would translate it through the lens of a patriarchal society. We need to remember that. It puts a whole new perspective on things. So Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 21. As you all know, although you may have a separation in your Bible between verse 21 and 22, there was no separation when Paul wrote it. It was all one. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 21 says this, Submitting to one another. Everybody say, one another. Everybody say submit. That's that word, submit. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. And then it goes on in verse 22, and it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands. Well, let's just stop right there. Did you know that word submit is not in the original Greek? It doesn't exist. It's not there. It was put there because it was presumed that's what it meant from verse 21. 
Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church. Let's stop there. That word head is something to this, I'm not great at pronouncing it, kafale. And it doesn't mean authority or ruler. One of the meanings is source, such as the head of a river is the source of a river. So perhaps that has to do with woman coming out of man's side, perhaps. This is one way of looking at it. Actually, things that I've read, there are more than one ways to look at these things. But go on, as also Christ is the head of the church. Is not Christ the source of the church? And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. So even if you want to talk about wives submitting to their, their husbands, let's talk about what submission looks like. Submission is a decision of the heart. It's an attitude, number one, given freely and lovingly. Christ has never demanded you, the church, to submit to him. If he were to demand that you submit to him, it would no longer be love. You would be a slave. So for a husband to demand or a wife to submit to him, he is saying, you are my slave. A little hard, a little strong, but let's just look at the realities of this. It's not something that we freely give. Submission is always something freely given out of the heart with a choice of the person who is doing the submitting. And it is not the same as obedience, by the way. So even if you want to buy into submission, let's look at the context again. Ephesians 5.21 Submitting to one another. Submitting to one another. I submit to you that the verses following that verse is a description of how we submit to one another. How women submit to men and men submit to women. Oh, everybody say hallelujah. I'm sure you're excited to hear that. So I'm not here to take away submission from wives. Wives, you should submit to your husbands. What I'm here to do is add submission to the men. Men, you should submit to your wives. My husband and I had a great example of this last night. So here I am. It's usually him preparing the sermon on Saturday and getting all finished and all that. And so I'm making sure, I mean, I'm not necessarily always cooking, but I'm making sure we have something for dinner. I might go get it or whatever, but I'm the one making sure it happens. And I'm the one making sure a few other things happen. And I'm in my office and I'm working on the sermon. And he comes in, so um, would you like me to do anything for dinner? I said, well, yes, I would, as a matter of fact. Thank you so much. And so he went and got us dinner. And he took care of a few things in the house that we needed to take care of. And I thought, well, how appropriate that this should happen on this message. We have both wives submitting to husbands and husbands submitting to wives. And praise the Lord. It's a great thing. It is a great thing, by the way. So let's look at the description of submission. We've just seen a description of submission for the wives. Let's look at a description of submission for the husbands, starting in verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Listen, when you read these things about what men are supposed to do, really, you guys have a lot harder job than we do, the truth of the matter is. And, and, and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she be holy and bl without blemish. So, husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. What a big assignment you guys have. 
And now we'll skip to verse 33. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects, and some version says, and defers and prefers her husband. But when you understand all of this in context, this is the description of Ephesians 5.21, mutual submission. Okay, let's go on to the next biggie. What about headship? Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This will not be up on the screen. I am not going to read all these verses for the sake of time. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 2 and through verses 16, is where we get this concept that a man should be the head or a covering over a woman. And some of the things that it says is this. He says, I want you to know, Paul is talking, I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ. The head of woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Let's think in terms of head not being ruler and authority. Let's think in terms of being the source. We have that in here. And it goes on, every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. And it, and it goes on and talks about how a woman's head should be covered and that she's the glory of the man. And, 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 and we have taken this whole, and you'll have to read it yourself. I'm not reading it all. This, we've taken this whole set of scriptures and which had to do with the culture of the time that women were told to wear coverings of some sort on their head. It was the whole culture of the time, and we have made that into a doctrine that says women are supposed to submit to men. Men are the head of the wife and the covering of the wife. However, let's jump down to verse 16. No matter how you decide to read these scriptures, and the way I would read these scriptures is that this is the culture of the time, but let's look at verse 16 and let me show you why. Verse 16, is that up there, says, but Paul says this after the end of talking to the Corinthians church about this whole issue they're having about covering the head, he says this, but if anyone seems to be contentious, everybody read it out loud. We have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. He, in essence, has just negated everything we just read. Do you see that? This was a custom in the church. This was not a God-ordained anything. It was a custom that somebody had come up with. And he said, we, Paul, Paul who has written most of the New Testament where we get our great understanding about who we are in Christ, he says, we have no such custom. And nor do the churches of God. In the Mirror Bible, Francois Dutrois doesn't even put in verses 2 through 17 because he says it appears, he says it's not in agreement with the context of the gospel that Paul preached. Where he, Paul, had said there's no Jew, no Greek, no male, no female. All are one in Christ. He said these thoughts seem to have been added somehow by some church father to justify the tradition of the day where women were to show their submission to their husband by wearing a head covering. And then he goes on to tell a little story. And he says that he and his wife and his son had gone to a church there. He lives in South Africa. They had gone to a church there. And it was a church where the women had coverings over their head and, and, and his wife came in without a covering so she got a napkin and put it on the wife's head. Well, the son began to giggle and, the, and dad said, what are you giggling about? And he says, well, dad, it's kind of odd to me that, that all the women in the church are covering up their hair but their breasts are showing. 
because they were nursing their babies. You understand, some things are cultural. Some things are cultural, folks. Covering the head was a custom and it was cultural. It is not written for us today, not physically to cover our heads, nor from a spiritual standpoint of the man is the head of the woman or to cover the woman. Now, don't get me wrong. I love some of the things that my husband brings to my life. I am so grateful that he does and takes on certain places in our life that I don't have to. And I think I would have used to have called that covering. But I don't call it covering anymore. I call it this is what he's good at and what I'm not good at. And in his male strength and in his male brain, he is better at some things than I am. And it's hard work for me to do some of the things that I don't know how much work it is for him. Maybe it's hard work for him too, but he never lets on. That's maybe part of his maleness. And I am grateful. I am so grateful that he does those things for me. But it's not the same thing as him covering me or being my head. It's about him being equal with me and playing his part in marriage as I play my part in marriage. Do we ever mess it up? Well, of course. You know, hey, let's, let's think about that. I was thinking about how that one of the maleness things that I consider maleness, but some of you women right away are going to go, well, that's not male. I like that he mows the lawn, and I don't. Now, I consider that male, but some of you women, are do the ma- you, you mow your lawn, don't you? No, not you. Some of the women I know mow, mow their own lawns, you know? So, uh, you know, it does, it, what, are, what are you good at? What do you want to do? What do you like to do? What works for your time schedule? That's what we do. We work it out between us as a couple as to who's going to do. Some of you men love to cook, and some of you women hate to cook. In my family, I don't like to cook, but Jeff doesn't cook, so I cook if it gets cooked. (laughs) And if I don't cook, I go buy it, you know. (laughs) We work it out. We work it out between us what works for us, what works in oneness for us. Last night, it worked out that he got dinner. We need to understand that traditions change from ages past to ages present and even from culture to culture in one country to another. Years ago, this is not about men and women, but years ago, and Jeff may have told you all the story, he was, we were at a, at a conference out in Wales and, 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 we, and here and the group of people we hung around with, we didn't believe in drinking alcohol at all, not beer, nothing. And he went out and was with this, with this conference out there in, in Wales and big conference Several thousand people. He was invited. We, we were, went there with one of the men who, well, Pastor Earl Johnson. Many of you know him. And we went out there with him. He was one of the speakers, and so Jeff was invited along with him back into the speakers' room where they had food and everything before the service started. And not only was there this array of food, but there was a ray of beer. And Jeff was like, "What? What are these ministers doing drinking beer, and especially before a church service?" <laughs> you see, sometimes sin is geographical, folks. let's just face it. We need to get a a broader perspective. Okay, let's look at one more of the questionable passages of Scripture about women and or wives and husbands, and that's 1 Peter 3. And then after this passage of Scripture, I'm going to end with what I consider to be my most important points of the morning. 1 Peter chapter 3 starts in verse 1. Wives... And it should be up there. Likewise. Everybody notice that word? Likewise. Be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Don't let your adornment 
Do we have all that? Yeah, be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Well, I used to hate those verses. I so was not gentle and quiet. I'm still not gentle and quiet, but I'm a little... If you had known me 25 years ago, you'd say, oh, you've become so gentle and quiet. <laughs> Which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Now, there are some good principles we're going to find in these scriptures about how to be a submissive person wherever you have to submit. But I want to get back to that word, likewise. Why is likewise there? It's because of what came before those verses. So let's look at this in 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to start reading in verse 18. And it says this, servants, and another word for servants is slaves. Everybody say slaves. Be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. I want to ask you all, do any of you in this room endorse slavery? Anybody? Raise your hand. Anybody endorse slavery? Who does not endorse slavery? Let me see your hands. I want to make sure you're listening. Okay. How many of you would endorse masters beating slaves? Let me see your hands. You, endorse, you don't endorse, I'm sure, masters. Right. You, if, okay, who does not endorse a master beating slaves? Thank you very much. Likewise, you wives, be submissive. If you don't endorse slavery... If you don't endorse beating slavery, beating slaves, which it seems to endorse in these scriptures, why would we endorse wives being submissive to husbands? Because it's likewise. It, you know, these are probably some of the verses that the Christians used to endorse slavery in the 1800s. And they were Christian people saying, well, it's biblical to have slaves. It's, it's biblical to beat them if they don't do what they're supposed to do. Did you all know that? You know, Hitler was a cr Christian. Oh, what? Well, obviously not. Obviously not. But you see, Christian things were said. KKK, Ku Klux Klan uses Christian verses. How do they get that interpretation out of Scripture? It boggles our mind. We have to understand that in that day, in that culture, there were slaves. And Peter was addressing how the slaves were to take care of themselves in the midst of this culture. Likewise, he was talking to women in a culture where marriage was a financial contract. If a man wanted to divorce a woman, he could divorce her because she burnt the toast. Of course, they didn't have. I guess she put it over the fire and burnt it. I don't know how she burnt the toast then, but a man could divorce a woman for any reason that he chose. And so 
If he was going to talk about gender equality, he had to also equip women how to go home in a culture where the men owned them. Which we don't buy into today. We don't endorse slavery. We don't endorse beating slaves. It was as though Paul was easing his way into the new truth and equipping women with what to do in the culture they lived in. You know, just a few years ago, I was in Mexico ministering. And I learned while I was there. This is just a few years ago. I don't know if it's true today. This was probably about five years ago. But at that time, just five years ago, I found out that if you were, as a woman, if you were going to get married... 70% of the women could expect to be beaten in their marriages, and there was no repercussions for it. There was no laws against it. Nobody was going to come save her. Nobody was going to take him away. There were no uh, legal ramifications. This happens in our lifetime as an acceptable practice in some countries. But we don't buy into that, do we? But what happens next? So we've just read verses... part of verses 1 through 6. And now the next verse that Peter deals with is the game changer. Let's look at this in verse 7. This is the game changer. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. You don't understand how revolutionary this verse was. Women were not to be honored in this culture. To honor means to lift up. And then joint heirs means to lift up to equality. A woman, if a man were to die or divorce the woman, she was no joint heir. She would be penniless. She would have no way to make a living. She'd become a beggar or a prostitute. This is the culture in which Peter brought forth, what do you go ahead and do while you're still in this culture? But let me tell you what the truth is. The truth is, and you men need to know it, he's talking to the men, these women are joint heirs with you. This was a revolutionary statement in that culture. All right. These are the most important points of my morning. So how should we... Men and women reign together. What was God's original idea? How should we live together in marriage? How should we reign together in life? Well, there's a few characteristics. Ephesians 5.21 was one of them. We submit to one another. And actually in 1 Peter 2, you'll find we're to submit to all people. Submitting means to defer, prefer, honor, and respect to lift someone else up. Men and women... I'm to lift you up. I'm to lift you up. You're to lift me up. Whether we're in marriage or not in marriage, our whole job is to honor one another, submit, prefer, defer, not always have to have our way, but trust God that things will work out even if I'm not getting my way. Even if I am just so sure everything should go this way, there will be times I'm the one who needs to put that down and trust God and defer and prefer someone else whether it's your boss, whether it's your sister, your brother, your mother, your father, your wife, your husband. We're all, this is how we're to live. We're to, see, we're not, see, I don't believe in worldly feminism. 
I, I don't believe in the feminism that's angry with men and that put men down in order to build women up. That's not right. But I do believe in scriptural gender equality. And so I'm going to build up my husband. I'm going to prefer and defer while he does the same for me. Here's another principle. Well, 1 Peter 3, and I don't remember if we put those up or not, but after you get done reading in verse 7, in verse 8 it goes on and says this, Finally, all of you be of one mind. All of you men and women, wives and husbands, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous to one another. Don't re return evil when somebody does evil to you. Don't return reviling when somebody reviles you. Don't return blame for blame. But on the contrary, give away blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Let's look at another characteristic. These are kingdom characteristics, folks. Submission is a kingdom characteristic. You understood that? Just interpret those words. Okay. <laughs> We're a kingdom characteristic to be compassionate, loving, tenderhearted, courteous. Those are kingdom characteristics. And then what did Jesus, if you want to lead, if you want to be great, what did Jesus tell you? Be the least. Be a servant. This is a kingdom characteristic to take on an attitude of servanthood, not an attitude of superiority. But I'm here to serve you. And by the way, you're here to serve me too, praise the Lord. Anyway, but that doesn't make me superior or you superior. This is something we give away. It's what Jesus did, who was, here he is equal with God, but Philippians 2 says, humbles himself, became a man. And to the point of death laid down his life. And that's how he was lifted to be king of kings. And Lord of lords was by being the servant of all. Kingdom characteristics we're to serve. And then last, and definitely not least, really probably first, is God is love. It's all about love. It's all about love. It's all about you displaying love. It's all about me displaying love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not rude. Love, doesn't think, love does think the best of other people. Uh, love believes all things and hopes all things about the people around me. And love never fails towards the people around me. This is kingdom living. The way men and women will reign in life together is acting like God acts. With love. With servanthood. With submission and preferring and honoring someone else with kindness and with compassion. If you take nothing else home today, take that home. Because that's how you and I will reign in this life with men and women. Love, compassion, kindness, servanthood, submission one to another. Honoring, deferring, and lifting up the other person. Amen. Would you rise to your feet?